Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and welcome to a very special end of year Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation, brought to you by Hirespace. This episode, in the wake of the recent terror attack in London a few weeks ago, Ken Kelling, former communications director for Visit London, is on the podcast to talk to us about crisis management and communication. Keep calm. <laughs> you know, it sounds like a bit of a cliche. Yeah, don't but panic. It, uh, yeah, it, it, keep, keep, it sounds like a cliche, but it is true. Then, just for a bit of fun, we have two of the High Space team go head-to-head in a game show we call Your Venue or Mine. I'm going to be so happy if I want a Nathan lose, by the way, because <laughs> I'm going to keep this like for a very long time okay. against you. Good. You know that. But first, Charlotte Gentry, Ken Kelling and Edward Poland revisit some of the biggest stories and topics from 2019 in an end-of-year roundup news digest. Evening, everyone. Good evening, Ed. Hello, Ed. How are you? Charlotte Gentry. Hello. Welcome back. How are you doing? Great, thanks. Can't believe it's the end of the year and it's our final podcast of 2019. of 2019 and we are heading into a new decade. Feeling festive? Feeling very festive. Not festive enough to get a tree, which is really irritating my husband because we haven't got anybody coming around for dinner or drinks this festive so season. Just not, so just no, not bother at all Well, with tree. no, I'm being dragged out to go and get said tree and um, decorate it, even though no one else is going to see it apart from the two of us and the dog. Important for the dog. And, and in fact, the office hasn't even put a tree up, which I did notice as bah, I was in there today. And I was like, what's going on here? Bar humbug. Ken Kelling. Hello, Ed. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Ken Kelling, Davies Tanner. Yes, I'm very excited for the 22nd of December because the days start getting lighter. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes, yeah. I never like knew that. Yep, 22nd of December, it starts getting lighter. Well, you've got the winter solstice, you've got the summer solstice, exactly. haven't you? Exactly, yeah. Happy days. Ken, you're on to talk about crisis communications. I will be, yes. Um, so we won't talk too much, but we'll save that for your, your conversation with Joe. Mm-hmm. But... The front page of conference news is that the Prime Minister has pledged brand new venue security law after London Bridge attacks. This is obviously a reaction to what happened at Fishmongers Hall a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Is this overdue? I I think you have to take it slightly with a pinch of salt, to be honest, because not unnaturally, given the circumstances of that incident, um, there is a lot of talk about what else could be done and how can we make sure something like this never happens again. And that's always the narrative, understandably. But you know that what that, that article says is is that the government may use existing laws or it may be a version of, of Martin's law, which is the proposal uh, to tighten up security, particularly around bigger venues post the, the Manchester Arena bomb. Whether either of those two things will happen we don't know yet. It's one of the things that any politician will put out there to to look reassuring that it's being taken seriously and something's going to happen. As ever, the devil's in the detail. You know, what will actually happen? Prime Minister Boris Johnson has pledged a new law which would force venues hosting large events, as you say, Ken, to prepare for terror attacks. The new regulations would mean all venues must prepare in the same way as for a fire risk with potential fines for those that do not comply. I imagine we'll see a lot more consultation um, before anything definitive comes in you know with with those venues and with other people because you know it, it's it's important but it's got to be right I was quite shocked last Friday because I was in the House of Lords for the Evcom Fellowship Awards and I walked in and admittedly through security but with no proof of who I was at all. They didn't even tick me off a list. Mm. I had some form of a lanyard or something given to me, I think, but nobody even asked for proof of, of ID or anything, and that's the House of Lords, and I walked straight in. I think it is quite alarming. Proof of, no. proof of ID should really be um, a, a complete sort of process that is just second nature, that, you know, even if you've got 
a badge or, you know, a registration or whatever that you actually have to produce your driving license or something to show that you are who you are yeah. these days. And I th- but I think what's 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 interesting, though, and we, I think we may have even talked about this last time, actually, Charlotte, or, or last time you and I were on mm. together. So if you live in a democracy and, and you, you know, you value freedom and you value all of these things, there's always a balance to be to be struck. I'm, I'm surprised mm. about the House of Lords thing, I have to say. But, you know, there was a terror attack where, where someone who was determined enough actually got through the gates into mm. into the square outside of Parliament, and that's the most heavily guarded place in the whole country, virtually. And he still managed to get in through the the gates. So mm-hmm. you know, it, if someone is determined enough um, and has the element of surprise or whatever, you know, you it's really difficult to legislate for for all of that. And you know, I don't know what the answer to that is, other than um, you know what we were talking about previously in terms of intelligence. Um, and all of all of those factors that, that seek to mitigate and prevent, you know, as, I th- I as think, much as possible. I think some of these processes can certainly be tightened, though. And I think there's a, um, a belief that whoever walks in for these events is exactly who they say that they are. Yeah. Um, and it's a level of trust, isn't it? It's a level of trust mm. that's still going on, which is quite surprising in this day and age. So wait and see, I guess, nothing for venues to do right now. Of course, it might not be... Boris Johnson leading any of these things. Listeners, we are recording just before you go to the polls. So this question came into us on Twitter. End of the year, understandable question. What are the biggest stories impacting the meeting and events industry in 2019? I wanted to throw that straight out to you guys. I think probably talent retention and and how to increase value in your business to, to retain talent and the whole well-being and anxiety and stress piece has been... A huge topic for discussion, especially within our sector, where the delivery side of it is enormously stressful and getting that balance between well, that work-life balance is not easy for a lot of um, operational staff. So um, how do you uh, create the value to be able to retain your staff and ensure that they that they want to continue to work for you? Why has this been such a big conversation in, in 2019? I think the whole well-being piece has been a massive element for discussion. There are, in fact, many companies that haven't been around for very long, such as Stress Matters and various other companies in in the sector who have specifically looked at how to integrate the well-being piece into into our industry, which is, quite frankly, long overdue because people have been highly stressed and, you know, for for years – um, but our industry's just been renowned as being a very highly, you know, anxiety-driven experience. It's definitely about stress, and that's that's definitely come to the fore. You know, as as, as you say, Charlotte, thanks to Stress Matters and, and these other initiatives that are around, which have which have helped to both recognise and start to mitigate some of that. For me, there's also um, there's also a kind of deeper thing in in this it's about how we live our lives. It's how we live to our values. And I, I think we're seeing this a lot with, with younger people in, in particular. And, and for me, it does tie in with sustainability and all these big issues. Because I think particularly younger people are now thinking, how, how do I live a life that is true to my values? In the old days, it would all be about getting a job for life, staying in that job. You had some kind of security and, you know, you, re- you retired and you got a clock at the end of it. Like, that world seems so kind of far away now. People want to kind of live their lives differently and work for companies that reflect that for me this is this is a debate that's almost being played out in the workplace right now uh, for both employers and employees you know how, how do we find that balance and how do we get that 
Right. I think it's tricky because the older generation who are usually in sen- in positions of senior management probably do come from a school of thought that you just sort of get on with it yeah. and the concept of being flaky doesn't apply. You do your time, you work your way through um, the hierarchy of a business and you just, you know, you get on with your career. Whereas there's, without a shadow of a doubt, people who are starting their careers and uh, who are in their 20s, there's a level of expectation that they expect that business to give back to them, to provide an environment that is looking after their needs and, and requirements. And yeah. there's a there's definitely a, a, a mind shift between the way that older people perceive the work environment and the way that younger people expect to be looked after. Yeah. Could, could go, go back to the stress. Now, I want to come back to the purpose in Kings. I totally, mm. totally agree that they do. But just on this particular point of, of stress, because it's such an important thing... Mm. Is this industry more stressful than it used to be? Is is life more stressful than it used to be? How come this conversation is so... Organisations like Stress Mass have been, have been mentioned and, and others that do a really good job, but why is this conversation so pronounced this year and, 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 and 2018 as well? What is it that's caused this crescendo? Well, I, I, you know, I, I think that it's... Um, it's the particular nature of holding an event with a deadline increasingly you hear of, of, of tighter budgets and people kind of wanting to get more for their money. So And, and so, you know, I think all these things that are particular to working in events, you know, are there. But, you know, what's what's interesting is that, you know, there are clearly people who work under pressure who may be surgeons or the police or other sorts of people who are in stressful situations. And, and you don't see the same kind of stress levels or you don't see those things um, played out in the same way. So there, there must be something about the way that people are being either managed or or the workplace culture or other things that are going on around it that make these things feel, you know, a lot more pressurised um, for for that individual. And that's, that's I think, the, the conversation that, that needs to... Well, needs I, to I mean, I think, I think I can probably answer what that is, is that you are, at the end of the day, you are dealing in a live situation. It's mm. probably like getting up on stage um, and performing a solo... Um, piece in front of I don't know five five hundred people. If something's going wrong, that feeling of crisis is you can crisis manage. You can do something about it, but you are you are in the eye of the storm in that particular situation, and so that crisis feels very very pronounced. I mean, I've been there on a number of occasions where you know something might be completely out of your control, and all you can do is you can do the best that you can to mitigate a problem, but the situation is live. Yeah. Um, and that's from an events perspective that's kind of what it boils down to and whether, whether you feel in control of something is, is a huge you know that's a huge mm. impact on on how you how you feel that's that's completely right and, and in an event there are always going to be lots and lots of things that feel as if they're outside of the control whatever plan you, you have you've made well you, you know, just have to be able to think happen. on your feet very very quickly connectivity has got to be a big part of it as well surely the fact that you're always on call you're always getting emails yeah. you're always looking on social media and people are doing cool things really really well and that must add to it no well I, and, and we're, we're communicating a lot more than we ever have done in the past so before you just didn't have a conversation with your boss about the fact you were feeling stressed today or you That's you true. know were having a minor meltdown or you were having anxiety issues now and it's i've done this a number of times you know if you post something about the fact that you suffer from anxiety that's actually on on social media. That's absolutely fine to do that, and people really engage with that information. So, so yeah, I think that's probably a big part. And, and you know, we have we have we have to all kind of get more kind of you know acknowledgement of both what those issues are and, and and the ability to be open and honest and have that conversation. You know, that's exactly the kind of thing that 
stress matters is 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 helping to get into organisations and get more widely known. So how else do we do we retain talent? It's building the culture within that business, and and um, you know, Ken, what you were talking about earlier in terms of values. It's living to those values, and also, um, you know, people apparently don't necessarily always tend to move for money if they are being paid at the appropriate rate um, for their job. They move because they are feeling undervalued. They yeah. move because they don't enjoy the people that they're working with or they've got a bad relationship with their boss or it's it's other factors. So if you're creating a really um, happy, inclusive environment at work and that culture um, is, is very much there, then that pretty much helps to, to retain it. And I think, you know, I think people want to see progress every year. I think where people sort of think, oh, it's time to maybe move on to the next thing, is if they just don't see that senior management are actually taking steps or people move they just if they just don't feel that any progress is really happening mm. and you just feel like you're on a treadmill yeah. and you're part of a, you know, you're a cog in a, in, a, in a part of a wheel and there's nothing that's really altering year on year, I think that's when people tend to move because they're bored. Some key words, aren't there? There's, there's, there's being valued, there's being appreciated, there's being developed you know, in terms of your own personal growth and, and, and feeling like your the, the work and, and the organisation you're working for has some meaning and, 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 you know, beyond a certain level, money has been shown to not be the thing, as, as you rightly say. It's not about that. You know, people are more motivated by being thanked <laughs> and mm. appreciated quite often than, than they are about the money. So going back to your point on, on purpose and uh, I, I guess identity is, is, is what you're talking about as, as being so, so key. Yeah. How fundamental is that for businesses in the events industry and, and how do you start to, to create and entrench that? From our perspective, I mean, there are so many agencies now in, in the industry um, of all varying sizes. So competition is relatively fierce. So if you don't take steps to try and set yourself apart in terms of how you manage your staff, how you um, how you praise them, how you appreciate them and what you actually give back, then, you know, if, if another agency is treating people in a in a better way, then, you know, there's a, there's a chance that you're probably going to lose people. So, you know, it is definitely a cultural thing. And I think that stems from the top down. So I think, you know, if you've got a leadership team that's at odds with each other all the time and that permeates down and people can feel that... Um, that creates a conflicting environment. If you're not open with how you're progressing the information that you're sharing as a, as a, as a management team as well, it's much better to be highly inclusive, I think, yeah. um, in the information that's being transmitted. And I think, you know, the last, well, I say 10 years, just, just roughly... I think you've seen a lot more with with organisations and companies looking to put out into the world their why, you know, the, the reason that they do what they do. You know, Simon Sinek's book about, you know... Start with why. You start with start with why, you know, all that hugely influential stuff. And, and, and he referred to Apple a lot in terms of its... Um, of its why, and I think that's really sunk in with with brands, with companies, with uh, with all sorts of organisations. For me, that's now seeping down, or probably was there already with us as individuals. You know, with with that context and with that idea out there, we're also thinking a lot more. Yeah, well, then what's my why? <laughs> why do I do I do what do I do? Because you know, we're, we're often driven by a higher idea of purpose than we recognise. Because conversations are nearly always about money or material things, and but actually, you know, our day-to-day behaviour is quite often more driven by those those values and that idea of finding meaning 
than than any other kind of monetary thing. Completely agree. Very quickly, mentorship, Ken, mm. you've been a mentor and, and are a mentor to, to event professionals. It feels to me like mentorship is a brilliant thing and there's a bigger idea in, in there. And well, it, I'm, I'm bound to agree. <laughs> I'm bound to agree with that. And I think it's an important part of, you know, what we were talking about earlier in terms of dress management and all the rest of it, because having a mentor or a coach and someone who, who you can talk to, who you can talk things through, or you can ask about experience or, or even just reflect yourself, you know, it's incredibly valuable. And, and I'd love to see that going on in, in the industry more widely and more deeply there are there are things going on at the moment but it, it hasn't quite become the norm because you know quite quite often hr teams and other people will see this as a bit of a nice to have you know for people at a kind of leadership level or or, or at a you know chief exec level or i think i think we'll see a lot more of that happening for all of us as as individuals and, and a lot more accepted you know in the states this is you know uh, the kind of standard thing for for years in the states was about having a therapist wasn't it all the woody allen stuff about you know <laughs> everybody had a therapist and in north america a lot of you know uh, the, the percentage of people who have a coach or someone that can work alongside them is is greater than here and i, I think you know i'm a real advocate for it i do it you know i can see the results that come from it I'm personally quite an advocate for reverse mentorship. So mm. learning from the bottom up, because in our sector, businesses are... Yes, there are a certain number of businesses that are owned by younger people, but the majority of businesses are owned by people in their mid-50s and north of that. So we can all be quite set in our ways by that point. So... You know, certainly with the rise of social media and, and the way people are interacting now and younger people are interacting, I think there's a huge opportunity for younger people who are the future of our industry to actually mentor senior leadership teams in terms of what, how, where they feel the industry is moving, where they feel that, um, you know, communications are, are moving because things are changing constantly. And people who are you know, at the top of the tree, I don't always have their finger on the pulse like that. And people who, that come to work for you who are younger, they are the future. Yeah. And we have to embrace that. Yeah. Talent retention, workplace culture, wellness, stress. This is undoubtedly a massive talking point from 2019. And I would urge people to check out some of the organisations that have been mentioned today. What else? 2019. Well, obviously, um, we can't really get away from the whole sustainability angle, um, which also probably ties into food choices as well. And... Food choices has been big, <laughs> hasn't it? It really has. And, uh, you know, and as someone who's been vegetarian all his life, you know, where have the rest of you been, to be honest? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it's, this is... Um... Oh, give me a big ribeye. <laughs> I think this Ken, is... you are always one step ahead. This is front of mind for me because, you know, I, I picked up something today on this subject um, and it's, this is an analysis by the Centre for Biological Diversity. This is all about low-impact menus. So, you know, mainly plant-based menus at events effectively on big conferences and they've done a bit of an analysis that shows that if just take for example a, um, a conference of 500 people if you're offering them low impact menus then you can save five acres of habitat from animal agriculture avoid greenhouse emissions equivalent to those created by driving a car 22,000 miles prevent 17 tons of manure pollution and conserve nearly 100,000 gallons of water from irrigation and food processing. I think, you know, this stuff I just think is, for me, and I'm passionate about it, 
is is just so obvious that the way we should be going and it's and it's big in the events industry and and I think where we're talking this year the move for me has been towards action you know action and acceleration you know what can we do and what can we start to do now and I think the challenge is is that we need to get caterers to actually start producing options that look exciting enough to actually put forward to, to clients because you know, I mean we we work within um a lot of the time, very male-heavy um, uh, sectors. So law firms, uh, management consultants, you know, all they want to do is sit down to a shoulder of lamb or a nice big fat fillet, you know. Um, Just put them in a room with me for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. so now we'll you know, and, and, you know, I mean, I don't know who hasn't watched The Game Changers on TV recently, mm. which is quite an extraordinary documentary. If you haven't watched it, you really need to watch it because it's quite alarming, actually. Mm. Um, the difference that, can be made if you actually did go vegan mm. but um, the, the problems that we have just from a purely logistics perspective is actually producing a menu that doesn't have mushroom risotto on it for a client that's you know that's a plant-based three-course dinner as an example um, is not an easy thing still in this day and age to actually do pace of change there is seems yeah. to be extraordinary I imagine that will continue uh, I, yeah into and, 20... I, and I you know I completely get that you know this isn't going to you know, this isn't going to change overnight totally and that there are supply chains and that there are dif- difficulties and there's clients who are you know a bit more reluctant to do something however you know just my sense of this is that you know exponentially this stuff is just being talked about more and more and actually we're going to get to a stage relatively quickly where this does become the norm and we all work this stuff out you know we, we work out how to do things. And as an industry, I think there's a lot we could be doing, um, whereas in other industries, there's very little that they can do. You know, if you're in fossil fuels, <laughs> what can you do? Eventually, but, but, you can, yeah, can, can do a lot on sustainability and climate change is another thing which seems to be, I know we talked about it a lot for ages, but it seems to be gathering kind of serious traction, certainly noticed it at higher space in, 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 in terms of what the corporate clients are asking us for. There's a definite more serious kind of trend towards sustainability and, and climate change I think do we think that will continue big day for Greta Thunberg today I mean, wasn't yeah, it yeah time yeah. time person of the year yeah I, I, I think it's you know the two words are written down from from you know just the things that have been going on recently are action and acceleration it's moving at a pace it, it, it is um, and the one caveat and challenge to that is that people don't always want to pay for it mm-hmm. and because it is more expensive and you know certainly coming from an angle where we are moving large volumes of people around the world for for event minimizing or trying to reduce that carbon footprint is not an easy thing to do and people don't really want to alter if you've been doing a company offsite as an example in Mallorca um, people don't want to alter the format of going somewhere warm um, with lots of lovely activities, preferably some boats on the water. And, you know, so I'm trying to get people to shift their mindset of thinking, OK, we won't put 150 people on an aircraft, but we'll, I don't know, maybe stay in the UK or, you know, have a kayaking adventure across the channel. I, yeah. I, I don't know, is is just a tricky one. And I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in your view on this, Charlotte, because, the, you know, one of the things in the Trends report um, that was launched at IBTM was was about, um, there was a mention there, reference to road shows or other kind of like smaller events or, or, or just kind of reducing things down to a bit more bite size so that, you know, the, the volume and the scale of things where the, the footprint is perhaps bigger as a, res, as a result of just the scale of it, that there's a lot more movement towards these kind of, you know, smaller scale things, perhaps that go to where people are. 
um, as opposed to bringing lots of people to somewhere else. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that's that's you know going to happen overnight again, yeah. but it's it's a potential. Change, it's an education, know, I think. It, it it boils down to a change in mindset yeah. um, and people taking real action. I mean, we can all talk about it till the cows come home. But, you know, some companies, yes, are making real efforts to actually do something about it. Other companies are talking a large game, but actually aren't really doing anything about it at all. Because actually it's easier to do nothing mm. rather than actually have to address it. And now we're looking at, you know, producing... Um, a shopping list if, in our proposals of what you can do to install CSR-related activities. Got time for one more. Big stories from 2019. What else have we got? Well, mergers and acquisitions, <coughs> potentially. This is not an area that I know a great deal about, but I know that there's been still some some talk about, you know, whether that, that trend will, will continue. Um, I know. I remember someone talking. I think just this year about a, a possible trend for that continuing to go for another two years. I guess the opportunities are all out there, and you know, if 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 people are of that mind that they want to kind of reach a new geographical area or a new sector or something, and there's there's a there's a there's a way to do that. You know, that that environment is going to be around potentially for a while i guess there's arguments on both sides about who benefits who benefits from from these and i you know i know that in terms of whether that kind of just starts to to put all of all of the power in some bigger super agencies you know as opposed to some of the smaller guys and let's face it the events industry you know still thrives on on smaller businesses as well so it's a, it's an interesting one lots of kind of digital first businesses out there in the in the, in the industry now which perhaps wasn't so much the case few years ago there's also been a large um conversation around um this word experiential has been banded around a lot mm. um and creating events which are highly creative in terms of content not just design um and a lot of the MA activity has been centered around big logistics businesses actually buying creative agencies to instill the creative side into yeah. their business um so i think that's where a lot of the drive has been coming from um because clients they just desperately want to be doing things that are considered to be totally unique experiential engaging interactive you know you want to in- bring in that creative spark um mm. rather than just pulling in your creative producer freelancer to, to design a proposal but actually have that as part of your service offering. And I think there's been a move to, of diversification in the industry. I think the, the industry is moving in a much greater um, comms direction, not just from a, from a delivery perspective. So it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting time in the industry as a whole. So I personally think that's kind of what's driving the M&A. What do you mean by comms direction? Uh, I mean um, that, the, the, that events aren't just looked at as, as an event per se, but it's actually all of the wrapping that goes round the event itself. So it's not just about the event delivery. It's about digital. It's about technology. It's about delegate management. It's about creative design, all of these other factors. It's about campaigns. It's about PR. It's about all of those things that wrap it up. Totally agree. I think how we all kind of make sense of information in, in 2020 is going to be a, a massive thing. That I how, think we're, how are we feeling about 2020? Optimistic? Optimi- <clears throat> I mean, it feels to me that 2019 has been a, a strong a strong year, year of growth. Yeah, it feels like a very strong year. Yeah, I kind of, I'm, it just, it's just a feeling, isn't there? That, and I think there is some evidence for this about, about kind of people turning again back to kind of, you know, face-to-face and lives and, and, and meetings and stuff. 
to kind of get away from the the digital world or social media or whatever it else and and, and there's 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 so much impetus for that for that now from brands from all sorts of other people that it, it sort of feels like it's a healthy time and that's that's going to continue into into 2020 as well it's just you know it's, it's a bit of a kind of gut feeling based on, on what you read and what you pick up but it, there's there's still masses of opportunity for you know for for what we do as an industry Listeners, we are back in the second week of January. Have an amazing Christmas and a very happy new year. And same to you, Ken. Thanks for being with us. Uh, thank you for having me, Ed, as ever. Thank you, Charlotte. Thanks, Ed. Ever. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. See you next time. Take care. Cheers. I hope you all enjoyed that special edition of the News Digest. Next up, I quiz Ken Kelling on crisis management and communication. Ken, it's such a delight to have you back on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for coming in. in, in obviously, in the wake of the attack the other day, um, everyone's minds are sort of leaning towards crisis management, and you have a huge wealth of experience in that. Um, haven't, was it um, was it ten years as uh, Visit London? Yeah, eight, of eight years at, at Visit London, and and prior to that, also working nationally at Visit Britain, which was, I guess, the kind of the, the first the first sort of crisis that I experienced at a professional level which was which is around the time of foot and mouth oh yeah um when foot and Ooh. mouth disease struck the country and and what, what was interesting about that was the government reaction to that mm. because the government reaction to that was to announce that the countryside was closed yeah. <laughs> it was it was as bold a statement as that you know don't go to the countryside i mean I, I remember going camping as a kid and having to wash your wash your shoes and hands as you yeah. go in and out of fields so. yeah and it was and of course you know saying something like that if the government says that people stay away yeah and of course it was an absolute disaster for venues let's face it for uh, anyone running an event and for anyone running a tourism business in in the countryside you know, initially and and it what it what it what it kind of brought to light i guess was this sort of the disjointedness within government about you know one department saying one thing and one department you know, being responsible yeah. for another. And um, and the reason I, I mention it is because actually off the back of that, there was a lot more looking at, you know, cross-departmental communication within, within government around a crisis, a lot more recognition that, you know, what comes out of, um, you know, one mouth <laughs> might not benefit a, a, another one. Yeah. So, um, but it was a, it was a long time to sort of reverse that that idea that the countryside was closed, even though in reality, you know, it was about being or taking precautions in particular parts of the country, you yeah. know, where where it was affected. There was no reason why people couldn't <laughs> go into the countryside, but that it sort of it it, it spooked people, yeah. and it also spooked people to see you know pictures of burning carcasses and, and on the on yeah, the TV I mean, I every remember, night. Yeah. I remember, it's, you know, it's kind of really quite scary. So. I now that was my first kind of learning about you know about messaging about you know what what might go down in the media yeah. you know how to how to play stuff out and um, uh, and of course it wasn't long after that that we had the nine eleven attacks yeah um, which affected kind of global global tourism yeah, and, and global scale, events yeah. on it on, on a huge scale and then following that you know a couple of war, uh, wars in the yeah. Gulf the Iraq War uh, the seven seven bombings which in London which were you know majorly impactful on our industry and on tourism and events taking place in the capital. So as a country, I think we've learned a lot about how to handle these things. But even so, something like, you know, the, the tragic event recently, mm. you know, anyone's ability to predict this stuff happening, you know, it will still come out of the blue. Yeah. You know, things will, things will still happen that you can't predict, but it's about preparation. You know, it's, it's about being prepared um, for as many eventualities as you can, and with with um, sort of preparation in mind, one question we we had sent in 
is um, what advice you'd give a business leader when the, like the moment the crisis hits? Like, well, the first sort of two, one or two or three things that they should be thinking about. Three three things. Um, number one, keep calm and measured. <laughs> you know, it sounds like a bit of a cliche. Yeah, don't but it, panic. Uh, yeah, it, it, keep, keep, it sounds like a cliche, but it is true. Deal as much as you can with facts and sticking to facts, yeah. you know, because because all sorts of stuff flies around when a, when a crisis first hits. And, you know, your, your duty as a leader is to make sure that, you know, you've got all the relevant facts and information and not to go not to go beyond that. And I would imagine working in communication, misinformation is is the enemy. I, it's you know, and and the other thing that's that's happened, you know, over all this time is is just the the reach of social media and and the speed with which an incident can go around the world, mm. you know, within seconds, within seconds, with footage or whatever else, you know, the the kind of pressure. The pressure to sort of have answers, yeah. <laughs> and the pressure to sort of know things almost within minutes is is really is really hard, which is which is why this whole thing about you know making sure you keep calm and, and measured, mm. and deal in facts is really important. The the second thing is is that um, it's an opportunity for all the preparation that you've done and those plans you put in place yeah. to to swing into action. So in in some senses, even if the actual situation isn't you didn't predict yeah you should have rehearsed them you should have some, rehearsed something like yeah. it so you should know um your procedures you should know what 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 to do yeah so the second thing is about you know just bringing forward your preparation and your plans so just like like a fire drill but yeah. but have but have, be ready for every situation yeah, absolutely you know there's a reason that we practice fire drills yeah. you know there, there absolutely is a, a reason for that so they become familiar yeah and and um, that familiar that familiarization will make you more confident and the, and the third thing, and I think I think we've all seen this, you know, in the last ten years or so in particular, mm-hmm. is empathy. That you you have to have someone as your spokesperson, whether that's the chief executive or not, who is able to demonstrate, mm-hmm. you know, an, an empathetic look. Now that's not the same as saying sorry, because yeah. there will be pressure sometimes to say sorry when you don't have all the facts and you don't even know who's responsible or whose fault mm-hmm. it was. But it is about being able to put yourself in the shoes of the people who've been affected. You know, there's to some degree that's become a little bit stereotypical because you'll hear politicians all, you know, the first thing they'll say is thoughts and, oh, prayers. Yeah, thoughts and prayers. Yeah. So it's become a bit stereotypical. So, you know, let's kind of look at the language around that and how you could maybe do that a little bit differently. You yeah, know? I mean, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a really good point. I mean, especially with the the, um, the flack that uh, certain politicians have taken for the thoughts and prayers tweet. Yeah. Like, where it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure they are empathetic, but it's certainly not coming across. I, it feels like a cut and paste job yeah, sometimes. Yeah doesn't it and and you and and so it has to be genuine it has to be authentic and, and that that's why your spokesperson you know that has to, has to be able to live and breathe that they yeah, have yeah. to mean it because otherwise it can sound a bit glib and you know, sadly because we've become so used to pe- trotting out people trotting out these things in a in a way that started to become a bit cliche you touched upon a moment ago the the speed that this information moves now and and in today's sort of fast-paced social media environment is the old phrase there's no such thing as bad PR still relevant? <laughs> what I think there is, is good and bad handling mm. of a situation. You can see people who handle a crisis well, who, who may even benefit from it. Yeah. You know, they may, they may even benefit from it if they're, you know, if, if they're Rise authentic. like the phoenix from yeah, the Yeah, and they're like, you know, we, we messed up or, or mm. you know, and or, so, you know, you, you quite often see people who are able to do that and kind of make a situation that, that looks bad, you know, be able to sort of turn that around. Yeah. 
And I think I think people will respect that because people know, you know, I'm not talking here about terror incidents necessarily, mm. but th- things that go wrong. You know, people know that stuff goes wrong. <laughs> you know, nobody's life is perfect. Yeah. So I, th- I think people are willing to forgive you a bit of a, mm. a mess up. But they're not willing to forgive you for, you know, for for being dishonest, yeah. uh, for covering up, for, you know, looking like you don't care. You know, yeah. th- those are the things that people won't forgive you very readily for. And those are the things that will kind of have an impact on your brand, whoever you are. So, you know, these these things have become very valued attributes within within leaders. Speaking about the, the incident uh, a few weeks ago, what, what sort of effect do you think this has on on sort of foreign markets looking to the uk to maybe host events or run run their business here yeah well i you know sadly i I think people have 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 kind of realized that you know this kind of incident can happen anywhere you know we've we've seen incidents in barcelona in belgium in germany in sweden tragically and sadly but that that is the case and i and i think people are aware that you know this kind of incident can happen in a lot of places so the kind of um i i guess the sort of if, if this is the right phrase i'm not sure the sort of recovery time yeah. from from that perception has absolutely got shorter and shorter and shorter uh, so it's 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 something that that given the number of things that have happened over the years People have come more, uh, become more resilient to, you know, I, I remember the, um, you know, during the, the Gulf War, North American visitors to, to here, to, to London and the UK, you know, just fell off the cliff. But I don't, I don't think we would get that same kind of impact anymore because it's, it's now, it, and it probably always was a global issue, but mm. I think people now know it really is a global issue. I'd just like to to bring up the crisis communication guide released by the PCMA because I know you're involved in that, and and, and a lot of our, our all of our listeners are event professionals, pretty much. Yeah. Um. And and you know many of them will have sort of detailed plans in place, but for but for those that are just sort of thinking about this for the first time, or maybe want a few tips, I know it's, it yeah. can be a really useful resource. Um, would you be able to take us through some of the key points from from that guide? You know, we're, it's a sophisticated industry now as far as dealing with a crisis is concerned. You know, first of all, there is a whole there is a whole industry of crisis management. Yeah, there absolutely is, and that's both communications and operations. I think I got something in my inbox just today actually about, the, about another training course on on crisis um, management. So you know, it is a big industry, and it is a big thing within the events industry not unnaturally because of you know it's gatherings of people large no gatherings you know, of people and yeah. and therefore there are many many experts um in this field and there are many venue venue managers and other people who are highly sophisticated at, at risk management and mm. and everything else i think the point that we wanted to get across was just because you're small yeah <laughs> it doesn't mean something won't happen to you mm. And and if you think it's just about these big businesses or big venues, then potentially you're wrong because yeah. if you have a reputation, then that's the criteria. If you have a reputation that can be damaged, it can be damaged. It can be damaged, you yeah. Know, whether you're, uh, you know, whether you're 30 or 40 people or whether you're three. So it was really with that in mind that somebody may not have this in place at all or they've kind of thought, oh, I must do that at some point <laughs> when, I get, when I get around to it, that this would be a, a sort of an easy way in. Mm. The guide is really just 15 simple 
points to think about. Yeah. And you can also score yourself as well. <laughs> so you can give yourself a score on each of these things. Um, Love a bit of self-review. <laughs> a little bit of self-review. And, and yeah, and, and it's, you know, sometimes, you know, that might be revealing just mm. to kind of think, oh, gosh, yes, yeah, so maybe I should prioritize this a bit more. And and there's 15 points and they they relate to um, before something happens, while something happens and then after. Mm. Some of the points are really obvious. They're about kind of rehearsing, you know, and planning. Yeah. But, you know, the questions will be something like, you know, when was the last time any of your spokespeople were media trained? Yeah. Good point. You know? Very good point. Oh, well, we don't invest in media training because yeah. we don't do much of it. Oh, OK. But you'll, so need, you'll need it when, it, when things the, go wrong. If the first time that you're stuck in front of a camera doing a live interview, if that's the first time is, you know, when something terrible has hit the fan yeah. <laughs> with your organization, you're, you're going to be in real trouble. It absolutely will be. That's your first ever live TV interview. So, you know, it's an investment and it's about preparation. So there's, there's questions like that. Mm. You know, how, how, how well are you prepared? Uh, if there is a crisis going on, you know, where are you locating people? Who have you got in a room? You'll kind of, you may need a command center of some description, which sounds like a, you know, a kind of... You know, Something from Thunderbirds. But yes, but, but what's your mini version of that? Yeah. Because communication is absolutely essential in this because there's so much noise going on when mm. there's a crisis happening. Who's in charge of, of, of the logistics or the operations, you know, or who's, who's at the coalface? You may have people who are like, you know, in another country, something's happened in another country, but you're in the UK and somehow you've got to, you know, be the spokesperson yeah, yeah. for it. I, how do you manage that? <laughs> so, you know, thinking these things through and then having them in place for when um, something happens, who manages your social media? You know, if you're yeah, a small yeah. company, you're probably a bit like, oh, I don't do social media or it could very be the much. Intern or... Yeah, or it could be the intern, really. You know, because again, if something, if something happens, social media is going to swamp you. Yeah. And if, and if you're not there and if you're not out there with your own communications and your own arguments, mm -hmm. you know, somebody else is going to be driving that narrative about you. Yeah. Um, and then and after something, and this is something, again, that isn't necessarily given much thought, is, you know, what do you learn yeah. from what happened? And people will be looking at you potentially to see what you put in place. You know, how have you responded? How have you reacted? What action are you going to take? What action can you tell people you're going to take? Um because, you know, post something happening um, that may damage your reputation, you've got a lot of trust to rebuild. Yeah. And that takes time. How are you going to do that? And how are you going to make yourself resilient? How do you learn so that next time something happens, you've got better stuff in place? Mm. So it's, it's, it's just a look at a quick trot through of those 15 different points about before a crisis, during and after, just to do a bit of an audit and a sense check on, on where you are. You can download the Guide to Crisis Communication from the PCMA website. We'll put a link in the show notes just for anyone who wants to find it. Great. Um, just, just to sort of lighten the mood before we let you go, mm. um, I've just got one last question. On any tips for a crisis-free Christmas? Absolutely. <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've got Ken's five top tips for Perfect. avoiding a crisis at Christmas. Um, the first one, don't get stuck in a rut. You know, sometimes there's too much apathy and boredom around <laughs> Christmas. Don't get stuck in it. Do something different. Change it up. Mix it up. If you've got traditions that work, then great. Celebrate them. If, if you've got traditions that don't work, dump them. Okay. <laughs> uh, number two, get yourself outside. Don't spend too much house in the ha time in the house. Take the dog for a walk. Take go, the dog for get a walk. Get outside. Go for a run. You know, <laughs> wh whatever it is, just get some fresh air. Uh, number three, reduce the waste of Christmas. Mm. You know, well, we're um, my family's kind of looking at, at some vintage presents or something, yeah, yeah. or some recycled stuff, or oh my god, because you know, the carbon footprint of people's Christmas is just 
dreadful. Yeah, we, yeah. we, we did the um, brown paper wrapping this year, just like easy to recyclable nice. uh, brown paper. Yeah. About triple the price, but I feel good doing it. Like yeah. I feel much better and I've, I've put little bows on them to sort of like cheer it. Well, it's string actually, but they're in, in nice bows and they look quite nicely packaged up under the tree. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, everybody I know is just trying to, I, this year I think in particular mm. is trying to think how do I reduce that stuff because it all seems... It all seems a bit wasteful. My grandma's fantastic. Every time you give her a present, she uh, she very delicately yeah, unwraps it, folds, the folds paper, it up straight yep. in the handbag, comes nice. out next year every time. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Well, good for her. Number four, volunteer. I did Crisis at Christmas. Oh, that's appropriate, isn't it? I, did, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I volunteered for Crisis at Christmas mm. last year. It was great. So if you haven't volunteered before, mm. do that because it, it reminds you of, of quite often how well off you are yeah. and the need of others. So that volunteer. And number five switch off completely <laughs> just switch off because i think it's still tempting to kind of you know fiddle about with stuff yeah um so to so make that switch off um Take a complete rest. yeah <laughs> a complete switch off thank you ken it has been an absolute pleasure having you thank hopefully you, we'll see you again yep um and yeah i uh, hope you have a safe journey home and an amazing christmas thank you joe good to see you next up your venue or mine Welcome to Your Venue or Mine, the game show where two contestants go head-to-head to convince us their favourite venue is the best. The rules are very simple. Both contestants will have two minutes to argue that their venue is the best and then one minute to rebuff each other's arguments. Now, we all know that there's no such thing as a best venue. It depends on the brief. Um, so for the purposes of this game, um, the judge will be deciding the winner based on their arguments alone. This week in the red corner... From the venue expert team, he's known to his friends as Natty, to his enemies as the commissioner, and by me on the podcast a few weeks ago as the Scrooge McDuck of venue knowledge, we have Nathan Marks. Hello, Nathan. Hey, Joe. How's it going? Yeah, good, very good. Get here all right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> Sorry. That's good <laughs> enough for me. Uh, and in the blue corner, um, from the promotions team at Higher Space, she has a tight grasp of venue knowledge, but a tenuous grasp of the English language. It's Romy Pabian. <laughs> You're all right, Romy? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Good first time on the podcast. Glad to have you. I'm really happy to be there. harsh introduction. Well, let's get things moving. So we're going to flip a coin um, for who's going to go first. Heads, it's Nathan. Tails, it's Romy. And we have... Heads, Nathan, you are up first. Yes. Okay. All right. We're get, just going to get two minutes on the clock. And when you hear the sound of the bell, your time is up. Cool. Hit us with it. So, uh, the venue I've chosen as my uh, favourite Christmas party venue of uh, this this uh, festive season is Magazine uh, in Greenwich. Uh, huge venue. They've got a uh, they've got an Apreski theme on uh, this uh, this season. Uh, so it's, it's managed by Smart Group. Uh, a lot of people know that. Obviously, uh, known for uh, Battersea Evolution, uh, Freemasons Hall, uh, where they do uh, where they do um, sort of other other Christmas themes. But particularly keen on this one because of the Apro ski theme. Um, did go a couple of years ago at Battersea Evolution. Uh, they rotate the themes around their different venues uh, and this year uh, Apro ski is at Magazine. Um, so why I love the Apro theme is uh, it's it's just it's 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 a bit of a different take on Christmas really I'm not sure of too many other venues that have the um, the sort of ski season theme um, it comes with a lot of stuff so if, if you look at photos of it it's got amazing kind of uh, shacks and kind of bars which are themed in the apre style um, if anybody has been skiing in France and knows folly do um, they they take a lot of inspiration from that it's which is kind of, which is kind of like a kind of raucous uh, bar where people just get absolutely 
disgustingly drunk and then have to ski down the rest of the mountain afterwards. Um, but it's even better than Folly Do because uh, it's not cold and there is no investment bankers around. Or well, certain there might be a few investment bankers around, but certainly fewer than actual Folly Do. Um, and they also have uh, shows on such as dancers and performers uh, and even dodgems. Um, so they do a lot of. Uh, Oh, well, actually, they don't have dodgems, but I'm thinking, I confused it with a different venue. <laughs> <laughs> keep going, keep going. Um, uh, but most importantly, what I love about this is I live in Deptford, and there isn't that many venues near me, and this is really close to my house, so it's easy for me to get home. And your time is up. <laughs> right. I, I actually think it's a it's a benefit that there's no dodgems as well, I forgot to mention, because I, I put dodgems. Time is up. Your time is up. Your time is up. No whiplash. No danger of whiplash. <laughs> She's right. All right. Um, on to Romy, Blue Corner. All right, Romy, you have got uh, two minutes on the clock. Go. Okay, so I choose a venue called Ores, which is located not far from Waterloo, Lake Street. Um, personally, I love anything related to art, and I think it's great, especially for Christmas. As soon as you enter um, in the vault, you can admire all those like graffiti, colors, lights, which kind of like set you up for the mood of a big party. Says Christmas has also music. Uh, Ores has developed like a state-of-art studio system to create the best sound system in Europe. I mean, if you want to party, like what else do you need for? Uh, Ores is all about as well, like exper- experimenting. Exper- that, that's going to come. Yeah, I'm going to start again. Uh, Ores is all about like experimentation of a full immersion. They can like project snow on the wall if you want, like Christmas tree, light, stars, anything you need to really like put you in the theme. Um, and as it's not enough, you can also offer like a range of like scent to fit you in the theme. And I don't know about you, but like I can't literally resist like the smell of a Christmas tree. Uh, they can also they have as well like a partners with for food with gastronomy uh, guys. They can make like different um, meal and like cocktails, weird stuff to kind of like wow you guess basically. Uh, for me, the most important is obviously to be surrounded by the people I love. And because it's just one big main space, like everyone is actually around you. No one can escape because that's the thing I don't like with big venues. What if there's someone you don't like there? I'm not done, but I'm going to finish <laughs> with a very cheesy sentence because uh, if you put a bit of Maya on the top of it, all I want for Christmas is a rest. Oh, there we go. Let's leave it there. Okay, two strong arguments to begin with. Nathan, time for your rebuffle. Rebuffle. <laughs> Nathan, time for your rebuttal. Uh, so I do agree. Aura sounds like a very nice venue. Um, however, sounds. I, I, I think with with my one, the Christmas theme theming is really obvious. I think it's a bit weird, but, but I, you don't have to smell my theme. It's so obvious from the beginning that you're walking into a winter wonderland of Apres Ski. Um, for me as well, I'm not sure about you. I love to sit down, have a big old massive dinner for Christmas I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's no 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 sort of seating area in Ores. it's more kind oh, of just actually a, you can but you didn't came to the fam trip so you wouldn't know um, so as far as I'm aware there's no real seating area in Ores. you yes, will get you your can, chance actually. to speak you will get your chance to speak Romy um <laughs> And I, I know that Smart Group are just they're well known for the amazing quality of their food. Um, certainly coming from a you know quite a cultured catering background myself, it can be so hard to cook for uh, thousands of people. Even if you have really good chefs, it's so hard to cook that many portions. But have first-hand taste of their food, and it's absolutely fantastic. They cook for you know thousands of people at their Christmas party, have a lovely free-course dinner. And that's your minute. Nice. That's not bad. That's not bad. All right, Romy, what have you got? 
I'm just saying that like magazine is kind of like uh, even though I love the space and I love smart group I'm just saying it's so well, big it it's so I big went. like how can you get actually like very intimate with the people that you're going to bring for your Christmas party yeah. again Christmas is about like being surrounded by people you love and like that's why I was thinking of like a smaller venue so you can actually just be with the people that you want to be with do you know what I mean and also you were saying that like you don't need like a theme for your Christmas but you took like an apresky theme no I'm saying that you it's obvious what my theme is you don't need to be able to smell it bit odd that's just an experience like yeah. that's the full idea of like five th- senses like immersion do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. it makes it makes the experience for me even more like valuable and more interesting than just going skiing for Christmas because like you know all right and that's enough for you as well all right our judge has heard both arguments he's heard both counters this week our special guest is uh, Ken Kelling um, and so we're welcoming in to hear his verdict I'm gonna be so happy if I won a Nathan lose by the way <laughs> Because I'm going to keep this like for a very long time okay. against you. Good. You know that. Okay. So, um, well done, both Thank of you. you. Well done. They're probably both venues I want to go to, mm. to be fair. <laughs> so you made those arguments well. Just to re-emphasize that my job here is not to compare the venues. Mm-hmm. Uh, my job and There's what I've been asked no, to do no is, is to... Uh, compare the way that you put them across. Okay. And and as someone who's been in communications for about twenty five years, mm-hmm, I did no have pressure. a bit of a I did have a bit of a public speaking head on, but I was still torn. And and the, because the the arguments that Nathan made uh, about Deptford and Greenwich, mm-hmm. I live in New Cross. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> yeah, that is so wonderful you know there, there was there was some definitely some points going in at that point. <laughs> um, however, I've never been skiing in my life. And I hate that whole apres ski thing. Mm. You know, I just kind of think, oh, privilege, you know, people kind of poncing around. So, but I can't let that count against me because it's about how you put the argument Mm. across. It's not about the actual venues. So focusing on that, I was really struck by um, Joe's terrible introduction for Romy of having a tenuous (laughs) grasp of the English language. And Romy then went on to be incredibly fluent and to put her arguments really, really well. Thank you. And to put them very strongly and to put them very passionately. Nathan, there were quite a few ums and ahs and ers, and, and I just wasn't getting that kind of I've been preparing for this flow coming out of it. It might have been the situation. It might have been the pressure. I don't know. There was a little bit more ers, ums. On the rebuttal, again, I thought Romy came across as passionate, I thought she came across as wanting to kind of get her message through. <laughs> Your rebuttal, Nathan, was just a bit too nice. <laughs> well, I think you're just I, I don't a nice you've fella. Ever been described as well. I, I think you're just a nice fella, and I think and I think perhaps <laughs> that's done you in this process. A bit like in The Apprentice, where the nice one has to go because you know they haven't really kind of stepped forward. They haven't been as arsy as the rest of them. And Alan Sugar goes, "Oh, I don't know what. I don't think I can work with you." So my verdict this evening, I'm afraid, and it is with regret, Nathan. <laughs> What's it going to be? It is with re- it is with regret, Nathan. That Romy is the winner, and that's despite it. her tenuous grasp of the English <laughs> language, or maybe actually because of her tenuous grasp of the English maybe. language. But I think it was her desire to win and her passion exactly I'm very competitive always nice to be described as too as a nice guy it's probably the only time it's going to happen Nathan yeah I'm I'm, I'm just going (laughs) to having just having just met you in the last uh, you know 10 seconds or so I still think you come across if Joe could just you calling me a nice guy and send it to my (laughs) mum that would be fantastic next time we do it just be more aggressive thank you Ken okay no thank you thanks a lot sorry Nathan that's alright someone had to lose yeah I was going to say I couldn't I couldn't have a draw <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to
And there we have it, a win for the blue corner. I just want to say a special thanks to Ken Kelling for coming in and judging. And of course, a big thank you to both of our wonderful guests. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> and that's it for our show this week. And actually, that's it for us for this year. Um, but we've got lots of excellent content coming to you in 2020. We've got it all planned out and we're looking forward to being able to present it to you. The first episode is due to be released on the 10th of January. So we'll see you then and have a happy holidays in the meantime. While we're waiting for news on Event Lab 2020, you may be interested to know that Event Lab run a series of events throughout the year. If you're interested in finding out more, go to eventlab.online and sign up for our newsletter. There'll be a link in the show notes below. If you enjoy the show, make sure to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher and the podcast catching app of your choice. We really appreciate any likes, any shares and finding out a bit more about what you want and what you've enjoyed. You can follow all that we do on Twitter and Instagram using the handle eventlab underscore online. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab at hirespace.com. Go on, send us in a few emails. We can't wait to hear from you. And then it's left to me just to say a final Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and we'll see you in the new year. <laughs>